time to gather in just the fellowship of believers, of saints, that we can encourage one another, uh, that we can give testimony to your goodness in our lives. So Holy Spirit, we come and ask you to continue to be among us, to use the words of the Bible that we read today, to use my words to, to bring forth your revelation and truth among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about living the abundant life today. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those messages that at first, when I, when I felt like God bringing this to my spirit, I was excited about. And then as I started working it out, it was like, isn't there a different topic you want me to talk about here, God? <laughs> Um, but, but he said, no, this is, this is it. So, so we'll do our best and see what God has for us. You know, there've been many times, I mean, Jesus says, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it in fullness. But there have been a lot of times in my Christian life where I did not feel like I was living the abundant life. I wouldn't describe my life as abundant because of my circumstances Uh, because of what was going on. And perhaps cynically, because I have a tendency towards cynicism, I would say I've got a lot of, I'm abundant in troubles, you know. Um, I have a full set of, you know, things going wrong in my life. Um, But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about, right? I mean, he also said, my joy might be in you that your joy might be complete. When Jesus is talking about the abundant life, he's not saying that you will have abundant troubles or trials and tribulations. You will have those for sure. But the abundant life is to be filled with the joy and the peace of God. And so I want to talk about that today and how do we get there. And over the years as I've pursued saying, Lord, I want to live in that abundant life. He's begun to open my heart and my mind, my eyes and my ears to how you can live an abundant life day by day. And one of the big things that that God showed me about this is that I live in the abundance of God and yet often I don't know it. And and he first started opening my eyes to this in a passage from Isaiah. So Isaiah 6, verse 3 reads, and this is where the angels in 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 the temple room of God, they cry out, they're calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now you, you listen to that, the whole earth is full right now. It's full of his glory. Now, we often think about the world being in a fallen state, and the world is, but the earth is full of his glory, even now. But Isaiah goes on a little bit, a few chapters later, and he's talking about the anointed one coming, um, a prophecy about from the stump of Jesse, this branch will arise. And he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea incompletely. 
Habakkuk also picks up on that idea in, in chapter 2 of his writings. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the earth is filled now with the glory of the Lord. But the earth will be filled, I'm sorry, the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. But in the future, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. And so you see in in that passage, it is a current and present reality that the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. But we don't know it. We don't see it all the time. We're not aware of it. Jacob experienced this years ago in Genesis chapter 28. At this point, he, he had tricked his older brother out of his birthright. He had deceived his father to get the blessing. Um, his brother was so angry with him, he was going to kill him. And so Jacob flees into the wilderness. And the first night that he's out there, he lays down his head and sleeps and has this dream we call Jacob's ladder, of angels descending and ascending into heaven to earth. And God is there saying, Jacob, through you I will bless the whole earth. And so Jacob awakes from that dream and says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. When he laid down, he didn't lay down because that was a holy place. He didn't lay down because he knew he would have a dream there. It was a holy place, but he didn't know it. But through that process, he became aware of the glory of the Lord that was available to him, that was surrounding him. So these verses got me wondering about what is the abundant life that is around me that... uh, maybe I'm not tapping into, that I don't understand, that I don't see. And and as I was asking God to help me understand these things, um, he led me to the the time when the Israelites had left Egypt and how God was doing miraculous things among them. He had already done miraculous things in front of them as he he set them free from Egypt, right? Uh, They had brought all these... uh, plagues against Egypt and changed their hearts. Um, as, as they uh, were leaving Egypt, um, the Egyptians gave them all their silver and gold. In, in Exodus 12, it says, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord made the, the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. So 400 years ago, the, the, the tribe of Jacob had come down to Egypt as honored guests because of Joseph and his status in the government. And they had grown and they had prospered, but after 400 years, they had moved from being honored guests to being an enslaved people. Right? They, they were oppressed And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm going to take you out of bondage. Not only did he take them out of bondage, he let them plunder the Egyptians who had um, been oppressing them. 
So they had seen some of the miraculous things of God. And so now then they go out into the desert. And so if you'll follow with me in Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, um, it's an interesting beginning here, right? I mean, they've just been released from Egypt. They have all this silver and gold. They're out in the wilderness now. And rather than praising, they're grumbling. So you can see that their hearts are twisted in some way. And then what they remember of Egypt is what? There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Sometimes we romanticize the past, right? When we're in a current difficult situation, we think about the past days I guess they forgot that they were enslaved in Egypt, right? That at one point, not only did they have to make the bricks, but they had to go collect the straw to make the bricks. And so their work was twice as hard. But what they remember is, we had all the food we wanted to eat. Oftentimes, we miss the abundance of God when we romanticize the past and criticize the present. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 4, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. These people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So what instead if they had grumbled that they had just say, hey, God, you brought us out here. You've been doing great things for us. We're hungry. Can you bring us some food? What do you think God would have said? Hey, that's my plan all along. Thanks for being grateful, right? But they started with grumbling. God's heart is to bless us abundantly. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. But but God gives instructions as well, right? God is going to rain down bread, but they have a part in it as well. They have to go collect it, gather enough for that day. On the sixth day, they need to gather twice as much, right? So God has his part, and we have our part in living in the abundance of God. What also you see is that there is a test that comes. There's a verse I like in in the parable of the sower that, that goes, when trouble comes on account of the word. And so it talks about sowing the seed of God into our lives and that when the seed of God comes into our lives, there's always trouble that comes on account of the word. And that is a a test. But it's not a test to lead us to failure. It's a test that leads us to success. 
I, I was able to go to some of my grandsons. Uh, they had their a karate test uh, this weekend and get, moving up to the next level of their karate belt. And uh, I took martial arts when I was a young kid, and it was always kind of a stressful event. You know, am I going to pass? Am I not going to pass? And they were stressed out about this. But the way the, the instructor did it, it was a group test, right? The test was designed for them to succeed, to be able to demonstrate their skill, but also to be instructed in completing that skill successfully. And I think when we read this, that, that I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions, God is testing them to train them to do the right thing, not so that he can point a finger at them and say, see, you screwed up again. That's not who God is. God wants to see them succeed. So there will be a test that comes on account of the word of God that comes into our lives, not so that we can fail, but so that we can succeed. And so Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Didn't they know that before? And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Now, I think it's interesting that, that Moses keeps his perspective on the grumbling of the people, right? And, and it's a comment that all of us need to think about when we're grumbling in our lives. Ultimately, we're grumbling about God not taking care of us. And we have to say, okay, God, do we have enough faith that you're going to take care of us? Maybe your grumbling is focused toward your spouse. But, but as we grumble in life, Ultimately, we are grumbling against God, and we need to realize that. And rather than to grumble, to express our gratitude, to explore, God, we, we know you are good to us. Maybe our current circumstances, we see the trouble in it. But, but that's an opportunity to say, God, this is my current circumstance. I know you are greater than my current circumstances. And I want to live in faith in the abundance of that you have for us. In verse 9, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Grumbling makes a big impression, doesn't it? I mean, how many times have we heard... Tell them, at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening, the quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, the flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is this? 
for they did not know what it was. God does something over and over again throughout the scriptures. He gives you a promise beforehand so that there is some time that you can look forward to it so that you have his promise and then later you see it fulfilled. And part of this, what God is doing, he wants you to, to have his promise so that you know it is him that is fulfilling his word. It's not a random event. It's not just, oh, hey, we got lucky and all these quail flew into the village. God said, this is what's going to happen. And then when it happens, you know it's the Lord. God has ways that seem impossible to us. Where do you get meat and bread in the wilderness? You know, there's no price chopper. There's no Aldi over there. They have silver and gold, but what good is silver and gold? You can't eat it, right? But... But God has a way of doing things that surpasses our imagination and our understanding. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is about three pounds, for each person you have in your tent. And then the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And everyone had gathered, everyone, everyone had gathered just as much as they had needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Okay, so limits on this, right? God's giving instructions. You're going to have all the food that you need to eat for today, but don't keep any of it for tomorrow. Moses reminds them of God's instructions. But what happens? Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. To live in the abundance of God means that we have to follow God's instructions, right? We can't say, God, I want to live in your abundance, but I want you to do it this way. God says, I'm going to do it this way. If you want to live in my abundance, follow my instructions. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers, six pounds, for each person. And as the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses, and he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever's left and keep it until the morning. God's abundance even gives us a time of rest. You know, there's our part that we need to, God does his part. There's our part that we need to do to go out and collect it, to bake it, to boil it. But then there's also a day of rest. 
Oftentimes we're busy with life. We got to do something. We got to make it happen. And we're just going to work, 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 work. And we think it's our own strength that makes this happen. But it's not our strength. It's the will of God through us that it happens. And resting is honoring God. That's an important part of living the abundant life. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and, did not, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Disobedience is not just, oh, I'm going to do it my way. Disobedience reveals what's in our heart, the wickedness that's there, that that rebelliousness that God, you think you may know what you're doing, but I know best. That, That colors the relationship and says, okay, instructions, obedience is not because God wants to put us under his thumb, but but to show that we trust who God is, that that we can follow his way, that his way is best, um, rather than thinking we have it all figured out. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, and this is why on the sixth day he gives you the bread for two days. Everyone is to stay there, stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. And so the people rested on the seventh day. So, you know, part of the issue is it's easier to get the people out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of the people. You know, that, that through their enslavement, through the difficult times that they had where they felt abandoned by God, They came in as honored guests. They were now an enslaved people. What has God done for us? And that attitude can take hold deep within you so that even when God is working in your life, you still don't see it. You still don't trust it. You still don't follow it. And so God has to train them in a new way of thinking, in a new way of believing so that they can live in the abundance that he has surrounded them with, right? I mean, they're getting quail. They're getting bread on a daily basis in the wilderness. Another passage that that speaks to this ongoing sense of God blessing them um, is in Numbers 13. And so this is after the children of Israel have been out in the, in the wilderness a while, and they're coming into the promised land. And it's time now for them to enter the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses sends out 12 spies, one man from each tribe, to explore the land, the promised land, and to come back and have a report. And so they've spent 40 days out in the wilderness looking at this, and, and they come back. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them 
and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. Now in verse 26, a little bit higher up, verse 23, they had plucked a, a, a cluster of grapes, one cluster of grapes that was so big, two men had to carry it back um, because the land was so fruitful. But they went on to say, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak were giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. The abundance of God often comes disguised in troubles. Back to that verse in the sower. When trouble comes on account of the word. You know, Thomas Edison has this famous quote. Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> right? But you see this often time and time again that as God is bringing people into the promised land, there's giants there. There are fortified cities there. It is a land of milk and honey, but it's going to take some effort for them to conquer that land and to move into it. So they start complaining about it. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Often our fears block us from the abundance that God is offering. It looks difficult. It looks scary. There are giants there. There's good reason, but God has said, I'm going to give this to you. I want you to live in this abundance. And if God is for us, what can stand against us? But we have to move in faith. We have to move beyond our worries and our fears to believe that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Verse 33, they summarize by saying, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. What story we tell ourselves determines how we live. Do I tell myself the story I'm abandoned by God? God has forgotten me? If I tell myself that story, that's what I'm going to live out. But if I tell myself the story, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. How much more, now that I believe in him, will he pour good things into my life? What story we tell ourselves determines how we're going to live. The Israelites were living in a time of God's abundance, but they did not realize it. 
Over the years, God has shown me how I have been like the people of Israel in these days. And, but more importantly, he has shown me how to live in his abundance. And I want to share a few of those things with you this morning. Abundance is based on the belief that God is a good gift giver. In Matthew 6, he says, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They, they do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his Glory, splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God takes care of the grass of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. We were talking about this passage in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. And, and talking about that, that question, oh, you of little faith, is not that we have little faith but that we show little faith in God's goodness. We have faith. We are built for faith. But 90% of our faith at times is in our troubles, in our circumstances, not in God's goodness. We keep 10% of our faith in God's goodness and 90% of our faith in, in our own ability, in the world, what the world says. We've got to switch that so 90% or more all of our faith is in the goodness of God and only a little bit of our faith is in our circumstances or in our ability. God builds abundance into creation. I was reading um, a website the other day from the Department of Energy and just an example of this, I mean, this is the, a, a parable that God builds into there is enough energy that comes from the sun. The sun provides 10,000 times more energy to the earth than the world's total energy use at any one time. So the energy coming from the sun, the solar energy, the heat energy is 10,000 times more than what as a human population we use. That's the abundance that God has built into creation. We often don't tap into that. Another website I, I was kind of reading is about some farmers who do some homesteading and looking at, they have a family of six and they feed their family um, from what they grow on their homestead. And they're able to grow enough food to feed their family of six in 3,600 square feet. So about 600 square feet per person you can grow enough vegetables to feed a person for a whole year. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, how, how abundant living in, in God's creation can be, right? Just with a 20 foot by 30 foot patch, you can feed a whole person for a year if you know how to do it. I don't know how to do that, right? <laughs> I mean, that takes some skill and development. Um, so thinking about that in context, one acre could feed about 72 people. 
If we talk, think about the back three acres, we could feed over 200 people. That's more than our congregation here. We could feed everybody for a whole year with the three acres in the back. That's the abundance that God has built into creation if we learn to live in alignment with what he's provided. Abundance begins in the spirit, not in the physical. Romans 4.19 talks about Abraham. When, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. Since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. She was 90. Yet he did not waver through his unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So abundant living begins with the faith in God's goodness, that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he will do. Beyond our circumstances, we don't ignore our circumstances. Abraham knew he was 100 years old. He knew Sarah was 90 years old, but he believed that God could do what God said he would do. Abundance relies on the flow of God's grace on a daily basis. You know, when Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, when, he, when God worked with the Israelites in the back, you know, years ago, it was a daily bread that they were provided. We need to learn to trust God daily for what we have. Heather and I learned this years ago when we were first starting out and money was tight and we had more, more end of the month before we had paycheck at the end of the month, you know. Um, and we would talk about it that, you know, our bills are paid today. We have food on the table we have a roof over our heads. Um, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but this is where we are today. And so that daily bread and God provided for us. Abundance focuses on relationships rather than resources. In Acts 2, uh, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, this is the community of God. The abundance of God is in us sharing with one another and caring more for people than we do for our material possessions. Abundance emphasizes what you have rather than what you don't have. In Matthew 14, when crowds were following Jesus, uh, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them to me. And so we know he blessed them and then fed the multitudes. Start with what you have rather than what you don't have. Abundance starts with sowing and knowing that we reap what we sow. In 2 Corinthians, Paul encourages the people, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap 
sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. And this is the key verse here I like. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the eater will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through, your, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, each according to our own little need. Another important part is that abundance is a process that God uses to transform us. In Sunday school this morning, we were talking about this passage from Matthew 7. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. For whoever asks and keeps asking will receive. Whoever seeks and keeps seeking will find. And whoever knocks and keeps knocking the doors will be opened. But it's often in a process that God uses to build character in us so that we can accept the blessing that he has and and it not become a curse to us, that that we can enjoy the fullness of life that he has to offer us. When I was growing up, I heard the phrase many times, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, you ever heard that? Um, I always found that a bit puzzling because I always thought money pretty nearly grew on trees because whenever I needed to get some money, I'd go rake leaves and I'd get paid for it. Or I would go collect fruit from the tree and sell it and I'd get money for it. Or I would go chop wood and sell the wood and get money for it. Or I would take the wood from the trees and make wooden toys and go sell those. So money didn't grow on trees, but it was just one step away. The biggest hindrance in us living in the abundant life that God has to offer is our lack of faith in his goodness and generosity. When we run into problems, if we see our problem as the story we tell ourselves, well, this is going to do me in, then we're discouraged. If we see this as, yes, I've got another problem the Lord's going to solve for me. I'm going to see his goodness at work in my life. I'm going to see him take care of me in a new way that I can't even imagine at this point. Then we can begin to live at peace with joy Um, and live in the abundant life that Jesus came to show us. I don't know if you've noticed this uh, space heater over here. Um, This is my wife's favorite space heater. 
when I told her I was bringing it to church today, she got a little upset with me. You're going to bring it home, aren't you? Now, you might think it's 90 degrees outside. Why would we need a space heater at this time of year? But we still use this every morning. Now, what, what does it take for this heater to work? Electricity, right? So if, if I turn this on, it's not working, right? Yeah, it's not plugged in. For, for this to work, I have to plug it in, right? Now, it's plugged in. There's an abundance of electricity available to it. It's still not working, right? Why is it not working? It's plugged in. It's not turned on. So this has to be plugged in and turned on in order to work. And I think this is the same and true with us as we live out the abundant life. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and you will have it. So just like this heater, it has to be plugged in and turned on. We have to abide in him and his words have to abide in us. So what does that mean? I think the first part is we have to abide in Jesus. We have to be connected to Jesus. We have to be going to Jesus and say, Jesus, it is your life in me that makes me successful. I think the second part is being turned on. Jesus talked time and time again, put my words into practice. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord, that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do what I've told you to do. So do we get up and as we say, Lord, I want you to be the, you know, Lord of my life. But Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Don't worry. Believe in the goodness of God. Doesn't he care? He takes care of the birds and the flowers of the field. Believe that he is going to take care of you too. Live with that joy and that peace. But you go to sleep at night and you wake up the next day and maybe you had a bad dream. Maybe you realize, oh, I've got all these things I got to do today. And you start the day in a rush. You grab your coffee, you're out the door and you don't spend the time say, hey, Jesus, come to my life. All of a sudden you're unplugged and you're starting to do things out of your own power, your own ability. And what happens? Right? It doesn't work. Likewise, sometimes we, we start the morning and we say, okay, I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm going to get plugged into Jesus. Jesus, I need you. And come with me. But then we get on the road, right? And somebody cuts us off. And we say, get that one, God. <laughs> Let him crash on the way to work. Or have that policeman pull him over, right? We do that. Or we say, look, we get to work and somebody, you know, says, well, you're late. You're never here on time. And you say, Lord, I'm going to pray for that one, but I'm going to pray that you get him, you know? <laughs> we forget to put into practice the teachings that Jesus has for us. 
moment by moment, right, we have to be plugged in and turned on. It's a continuous flow that makes this work. Same thing with us. It's a continuous flow of God's grace and mercy through us to others around us that makes the abundant life work. Before we came in here this morning, I was watching worship on the TV screen in the coffee shop. And it was great worship, you know. But the thought came to me that the worship that God really wants is for us not to worry, for us not to fear, for us not to grumble or complain, but to have so much faith in his goodness and faithfulness and kindness that we can live in abundant joy and peace and gratitude and share that with those around us. That's the true worship that God wants to see in our lives. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good gift giver, that you love us more than we can possibly imagine, that while we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us, your most, your only begotten son, your one and only unique, that we might enter the life that you have for us, the abundant life. Lord, I thank you that even now as we stand as your children before you, having received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, that even more so, you want to see your blessings flow into our lives. Lord, sometimes we admit and confess that we, we don't go about it the right way, that we grumble and complain. And, and we're here to say we're sorry. We want to live the way you want us to live. We want to follow your instructions. We want to be obedient because we know you have our best interest at heart. So Lord, forgive our sins, cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and lead us forth this week to show us something new about how to walk in your abundance and how to live in your joy and peace that you intend for us. In Jesus' name, amen.